and we're Kerber's Kids. The Kids Talk, your monthly graphic novel review. All right, now that we're on our literary aisle, JJ, what were your general impressions of Promethea? Well, I don't think it is stating things too too mildly to say that this is quite the magical mystery tour that, that takes place here. We've got against the backdrop of an alternate world's 19 New York City 1999 on the cusp of the new millennium and it's it's a world inhabited by science heroes he makes a a, a strong point of calling them science heroes it's the five the five neat guys or the five swell guys i can't remember what they're called but you know they they have this challengers of the unknown or fantastic four quality to them which is kind of neat but they're they're actually kind of this i think they're there to kind of act as a counterpoint to Promethea, who we learn is an idea, a story that began thousands of years ago and has manifested multiple times throughout this last millennium. And I don't want to go too deep into the idea of the apocalypse. It's, it's, it's an idea that gets introduced as that's Promethea's purpose, is that she's supposed to bring the apocalypse. And, you know, is it a blessing or a curse? And that idea is introduced in this first book, but I don't think it sees fruition until, you know, later volumes. As you mentioned, the, the book does go on to 32 individual issues, which is a, a pretty sizable run over the course of about four or five years. Absolutely. It is. Before we dive too deep into Promethea, I was curious if you had any thoughts on uh, the idea of utopia. Yeah, I, I did. And I'll first say that this is unlike any other comic book or graphic novel that I've ever read. It truly is its own thing. And that quote from Alan Moore of it being a philosophy lesson in a comic book is on the nose. I, I I was like, wow. First, it's audacious. Second, how to get away with it? Well, it's because he's Alan Moore. And the art backed it all up because it, it absolutely draws you in. So it is a perfect marriage of story, not only from the plotting, the story arcs, and the narrative, but then exquisitely married with visuals. So that's just a, a general impression. But within this, we have a utopia, which is steeped in mythical beauty and violence. It really spoke to me as being a big fan of mythology and folklore. And when looking at this concept of a utopia, what I greatly appreciated out of Moore was he took an old school approach to it. If you read the Prosetta, or you go into Greek mythology, uh, you know, so you have Norse and Greek mythology as just two examples. And even if you get into Celtic mythology too, those are deadly worlds within those mythological realms. There are consequences for actions. There are really ugly scenes that happened. And more presents that here. Yeah, there's gorgeous beauty, 
but there are a lot of violent consequences to things that transpire here. And, you know, I think visually I was drawn to what we would see in issue five, and I don't want to get too far ahead. But when, JJ, you were mentioning an apocalypse, and that's part of a driver, if you will, for why Prometheus here, well, that's representative of a lot of, you know, this violence uh, that that's happening and, like, preludes to that. So not to give away or let the cat out of the bag or give away the, the plots to all of this and completely spoil it, but I greatly appreciated the sophistication with which Alan Moore went about his work in developing this utopia because it would have been very easy for any mere author to just make this all fun, happy, and and sunshine. And it, it is not that. He truly defines his utopia uniquely. And I greatly appreciate that. Now, so JJ, you had brought to the table some observations with respect to Promethea and a member of DC's Holy Trinity of superheroes, Wonder Woman. Could you please share some thoughts along those lines? Absolutely. So you take a look at any of the cover art for Promethea and you see this powerful woman in armor and sandals in a headdress or a tiara of some sort. And it really just looks like a Wonder Woman ripoff. And it's like, well, is he doing a Wonder Woman pastiche? Sure. You know, that's, you know, that's at the surface, you could read it that way. But once you take a look at it, it's more than that. So you've got Wonder Woman, who is essentially a, a gift of the gods, brought to life by the gods, gifted by the gods with her abilities. But Promethea is something different. Promethea is an idea, and it's an idea that's set in motion many years in the past. And a young girl is, is lost and sent away and makes her way into the immateria, this, this otherworldly realm and there she ends up inspiring different people throughout the ages and you see this character recurring throughout the ages in different literary form At one point she's kind of a sword and sandal warrior of the pulp era in later eras she's a superhero and it's like but is it the same character? And what you, what we kind of learn is that this is this idea of Promethea is inspirational to many artists throughout the throughout the ages. And when she makes a particular connection, or when an artist makes a particular connection with her, they're actually able to embody her in a particular way, or somebody related to that artist is able to embody it embody this idea. And we get a little bit of the backdrop of that. And what's interesting is that the latest version of Promethea, Sophie Bangs, is a young college student who writes poetry and is doing a term paper on this phenomenon that is Promethea, how the same character has appeared in literature over all this time, only to end up being able to channel Promethea herself and learning the truth behind it. And so I think on the one hand, if you look at it at the surface, you've got two very similar characters here. But then once you dig under the surface, they're very, very different. I mean, Sophie, as she's just taking on this 
persona of Promethea is, you know, very unsure. She's learning the ropes. You know, she has other, she has the previous Prometheas kind of coaching her along the way. Whereas Wonder Woman starts out confident day one and never really seems to doubt her abilities. So you go in expecting one thing and it's, I wouldn't say it's a bait and switch, but it definitely catches you by surprise once you see what is really going on here. Yeah, Alan Moore is spectacular in setting you up for a familiar trope to happen or a familiar character to appear and oh okay i've seen this one before fine fine and then completely turns it on its ear it's just like wow okay i wasn't seeing that one coming and from that standpoint this read never grows dull ever because all of the encounters with the unique prometheus throughout history are fascinating they're all different in how they manifested themselves. I mean, at one point you have one of the Prometheus having been a gay man who then is Promethea is this beautiful woman. And you're like, wow, okay. So this was very cleverly executed by Moore. And I just, I can't say enough about it. It was beyond clever. He had to have really drilled down to develop how he wanted to reveal all of the different Prometheus based on the various story arcs to support the larger journey arc of this idea, this epic character. Right. Well, and let's let's take it a step further when we're talking about Wonder Woman. She is steeped in Greek mythology. So we have all of those aspects to come to play. The Amazons, the Greek gods, she battles Ares often. So it's it's very rich and it helps tell the tale and makes her a very well-rounded character. Now, on Prometheus side, we don't have a single mythology that speaks to it, but rather a philosophy and a magic-based philosophy at that. I think one of the most amazing things that that Moore manages to do is talk essentially about his belief system, which is steeped in many esoteric aspects of magic. And when I say magic, I'm talking about the magic that was studied in our world by people like Aleister Crowley and the Society of the Golden Dawn. These were practiced arts. These were practiced philosophies and beliefs that he manages to interweave into the setting and i'm gonna i'm gonna pick just a a really quick one to kind of break apart because there's another epic one that we want to that i definitely want to talk about but i think we should talk about it in terms of not just story but the art itself and in this magic based system he talks about the four suits and these are the four suits that you get in the tarot and there's the cups which is a very feminine power it's about intuition there's the sword which is a very masculine power it's about force and righteousness there's the wands which is about energy and then there's the coins or the pentagram which is about earthly pleasures we get this wonderful 
tutelage of Promethea by the previous Prometheas as each one of them schools her on some aspect of this magic-based belief system. She herself, Promethea, carries the caduceus, which is the double serpents that wind around the staff. And and this is a symbol of, of Hermes. It's a symbol of Thoth, the Egyptian, the Egyptian deity of knowledge. And, and JJ, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that also commonly integrated into heraldry of the medical profession? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's that tie between the healing and her ability to heal herself. It's It's been passed down throughout the ages and, and has a, a real influence today. It's been taken as the symbol for medicine and doctors. I never thought I would read a book about a particular philosophical idea and just find it so engaging because of not only the art, but the storytelling, the characters. This is no lecture. This is this is a you're kind of getting a firsthand tour of what's going on in inside Alan Moore's mind. Yeah, and if I may, you brought up an incredible point earlier, which I think now needs to be refreshed within in the context of Promethea and this concept and the mystical and the magic-based philosophies that just absolutely dominate the story. And that's the five swell guys. <laughs> and the five swell guys perfectly are the counterpoint to everything that you just mentioned right here. When we see them on the pages, they are in hovercraft. Yes, hovercraft exists here, folks, in this new 1999 that Alan Moore has dreamt up. And all of their capabilities are just grounded in this world that Moore has developed, and they manipulate that as where you really see the full power of Promethea and whoever Promethea is at any given time is able to pull through the ages and really tap into Moore's universal magic-based philosophies to then utilize them contextually within this world as needed in several times. It's it's absolutely fascinating. If, if you're a fan of Michael Moorcock and multiverses and pulling on extra-dimensional powers, and I'm going to refer to them as powers, because these magic-based philosophies do manifest themselves in great order here, it, depending on what issue you're reading. It's masterful. It is how he is able to employ this so effectively and make the story immersive. Well, it, you brought up the five Swell guys, and as I was sitting here thinking about it, they actually resonate with the kind of the fourfold philosophy that Moore was talking about, the four suits of the tarot. You've got one, I think, Roger, who's super strong. That would definitely be the suit of the swords. You've got another one who is telepathic or, you know, sensitive to psychic energies. That would definitely be the suit of the cups. And you've got another one who's kind of like a hyper technician, probably be wands, right? Bringing the energy to life. 
life. And, you know, it just, even in the background characters, you've got these echoes of what's going on. And even to the point where there's this climactic battle in the hospital, Sophie is able to channel and basically help manifest not only her Promethea, but several of the previous Prometheas as well, as they do battle against all these forces that have been brought to bear, the horde, that they've been brought to bear against Promethea. And again, you've got the synergy between Promethea from the Immateria and the five swell guys from the material world, you know, our world. It's just nothing is an accident in this book, in this series. Nothing at all. Everything is... Everything is done for a purpose, and I think this is probably a great point to like start diving over into the art and how this is all presented to the reader. Oh, a- absolutely, JJ, absolutely. The, the visual storytelling, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but the visual storytelling in this book even exceeds Moore's masterful narrative here and matches perfectly these very deliberate well thought out crafted story arcs and you know just to begin there are a a couple things that that really stood out to me Uh, full-blown pages and very creative panel work some pages just defy all logic and comic book conventions yet somehow work and this thing is so stunning in not only the detail of what is presented, which I have to say had to have come initially out of the pencils, but then the inks that are added and the color selections. It's everything is hyper visual. It I can stare at these pages for hours and still miss things. I was finding myself come back to pages days later and picking up on these subtle clues, these Easter eggs that are left in these details. Uh, We've been here before, JJ. When we read Watchmen, we saw Easter eggs being thrown in there or little clues and tippers as far as what's going to happen next. And guess what? This is loaded with them. Right. Right. And so let's talk, let's talk structurally about some of the things that they, that he's able to do. So one of the benefits of this particular edition that we read is that we have the complete script. We have Moore's complete script for issue three, and then you can look at the pencils for issue three, and then you can jump back in the, in the book to issue three fully rendered with color and dialogue and so forth. Moore is I wouldn't say that he's anal about it, but he absolutely dictates what goes on the page. Now, you would think that that would be too stifling, but what he manages to do is give just enough detail so that the artist is then able to render it to know exactly what needs to be on the page, but still the freedom to add emotional weight to things, to really play with some of the focus. So let's give a specific example. The very first page of issue three, Moore sets out, and over the course of five paragraphs, five paragraphs, mind you, tells the artist what to put on the page. We have this background image of this of this hospital in the background, and then four long panels that f- 
kind of float over this background, which tell a successive story. So there's a panel at the top where you can kind of see the background, and then three or four panels, and each panel has specific narration and action. And I I tell you, it was just amazing to read the text and then look at the pencils and then look at the finished product. And it was absolutely amazing the way he visualized something communicated that to the artist and then Williams is able to bring it to life and I don't feel in any way that the page is any less dynamic because it was directed in this way but I mean it makes for amazing amazing artwork it indeed does JJ and right there the reveal of having all the scripting to issue three is spectacular because I was then able to see through these other issues, and again, it goes up and through issue 12, and anticipate what Moore may have said on the scripting for an issue, and then what then transpired by having that example. And there were a couple issues that specifically were my favorites. And I loved issue five, and I absolutely loved issue seven. And mind you, this is really nitpicking here for even declaring favorites because the the entire thing is gorgeous but for instance in issue seven when you finally get to the title page after a little prologue you have promethea rocks and hard places and, and this is sophie interacting with the promethea who had held the title the longest and this was the openly well maybe not openly in the time which he was existing but he is right now in in the book gay man who then encompasses embodies this beautiful feminine promethea and just watching sophie interact from the palm of the hand of promethea and walk down this large giant body and you've got these time pieces in the background and hearts with wings on them and eyes in the background and planets and it's like what is this it's absolutely gorgeous it looks like a piece of psychedelic art that could have come out of the 70s it looks like one of those black light posters that could have been there i, I was just absolutely enamored with this one and would come back to this title page and go okay what did i miss and sure enough, I'd pick something else up out of it. It was it was amazing. Just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And so for me, and the reason I recommended this for you was my recollection of one of the issues, and that was issue twelve. When I when I read issue twelve, when I first read it, it was mind blowing because there are everything is a two page spread. So you've got your first page, right? Your first page is a full page, splash page. And then everything after that is a two-page spread. And what it is, is the two snakes, Mike and Mac, <laughs> they've got names. The two snakes taking Promethea on a magical journey. Like this is truly a magical mystery tour here. Through the major arcana. And there's so much going on. So each half of the two-page spread has one card of the major arcana and you walk all the way through the major arcana from card zero the fool all the way through card 22 the universe and on every page there's a number of things going on so at the top you get the interaction 
between Promethea and the two snakes from the Caduceus. The snakes speak in rhyme, so they are rhyming all of their dialogue all the way through. Oh, JJ, hold on. Let me stop you there for, for something. I'm glad you brought that up because this really harkens back to the demon's appearance over on Swamp Thing and the rhyming there. As soon as I saw the snakes do that, I was like, oh, okay, hello. We're back. <laughs> Alan's at it again. Yes, yes. I mean, it's just, it's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So you've got Promethea and the snakes having a conversation where they explain each of the cards. And then you have on each page a, a rendition of that card. Then below the card, on uh, Scrabble tiles, you have a phrase that relates to the card. Here's the mind-blowing part. The very first page has essentially, you're looking at the back of the deck of the tarot, and beneath it is the word Promethea, spelled in Scrabble letters. More takes the letters of Promethea and creates a phrase for every card in the major arcana that is appropriate to it by just using the letters of the word Promethea. So he creates an he creates 22 anagrams of Promethea that make sense as they relate to the card. Talk about mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely mind blowing. And, you know, I had declared two issues as being my favorites visually, but I have to say, from a story perspective, 12 by far is the tour de force within this 12 issue volume. It is absolutely beyond clever. It's masterful. It's Einstein-esque with respect to its level of complexity and, and intricate detail. And uh, frankly, when looking at it visually, the, the reason I didn't call it out as a visual favorite of mine is because I was overwhelmed by it. I, I have to tell you, these pages, although they're not rip-cut paste and, and murals, they're drawn that way, though. And there's just so much going on. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, this is sensory overload. But but I know what Moore was going for as far as wanting to convey that. As a result, you know, those Scrabble tiles just pop off the page and you go, oh my gosh, this is just crazy. How many different levels is, is Moore's mind working on? And, and really, what all am I taking in as a reader? Right. And, and that wasn't all. I mean, at the bottom of this, running along the bottom, is a, a joke being told by Aleister Crawley. So on the one hand, it's the snakes tell you that if you understand the meaning behind the joke, you then understand magic. So that's one thing. As he's telling the joke, you see Aleister Crawley, images of Aleister Crawley that are drawn from photographs, um, meaning that the artist, Williams III, referenced photographs of Aleister Crawley, but created these renderings of him from the beginning of the series, the beginning of the comic, getting older as he's telling this joke until he finally dies and passes away with the punchline. And there's, like you said, there's so much going on here that it's like, you can't read it just once. You have to, like, there's so many ways to to come at this one and it's just it's absolutely amazing it's 
to me, this was a magnum opus. And this was before he did other things going on to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And it's just like the man never runs out of ideas and never runs out of inspiration. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, I can't give this high enough recommendations to be able to see how far you can push this medium. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And its own thing. It's in its own category. JJ, I mean, really, what what peer does this series have? I can't find one. No. Yeah, there, there really isn't anything to compare it to. And I think I was telling you that as soon as I, I finished this, I, I went out to get the second volume and all the rest of the comics. I, I have a lot of these in my garage somewhere, <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't dug them out. So I've so I was getting them in digital format just so that I could read them right away without having to trying to find them in my long boxes of comics. I just couldn't put it down. Once I got started with it, I couldn't could not put it down. Yeah, it, it is absolutely crazy in just so many different levels. So, uh, JJ, what were your impressions here? Uh, because we did get to see the pencils in their form in that scripting of issue three what did you make of the inks here i i couldn't find anything that detracted from the pencils it, it, everything seemed to be enhanced by mix inks absolutely absolutely there's a so you have to keep in mind that the art is rendering very realistic images and then at the same time slipping into psychedelics and psychedelic imagery and surrealistic art and images where you've got these fantastical creatures and there's just so much going on that it's just so to not get lost in it it could have so easily become muddy right it could have so easily have become just just a mess but i think what I think what Mac does is give the pages weight by really rendering the darks dark, but at the same time with this lightness that you you get that play of light and darkness where just a fine line gives something an airiness to it, but when we need to make something heavy and realistic, he's not afraid to push the blacks all the way down really giving the page depth. Just amazing stuff. Yeah, agree with every one of those observations. And I may add, I think earlier I misspoke, really meant collage, when talking about issue 12. And if there is a prime example of where Mick could have made a false step, it would have been in issue 12 because of all of that overlapping detail. And what's amazing is that everything's preserved. There isn't any sense of bleed over, even though you're layering images on top of one another. I'm like, how did he do this? How did he not misstep? I mean, I'm. what's beautiful about reading these things on a tablet is that you have the ability to blow up these images. And I went, oh my word, he is either that good or he's that good and spent so many hours on these pages to make sure that all the visuals 
were properly preserved. It's it's masterful. It's, it, it's as I don't know how he pulled it off. I, I truly don't. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Just can't speak highly enough of this collaboration of writer, artist, and inker. And colorist. I mean, once you once you get, and I know that you and Ray have talked about this before when you were specifically talking about the Elf Quest books and what did the color add to it. And I think the same holds true here. When you see the black and white images, could feel like it's you know and render beautifully and just you know it feels so complete at that point. So to give credit where credits due, because I I know. I- I did not profile this person over in Creative Chatter, but to add to what you were just saying there, JJ, Jeremy Cox oversaw the management of the colors. So I'm sure Jeremy had his hand in the colors, but adding to that was Digital Chameleon, which is a house that does, I believe, coloring. Wildstorm FX, which is also a conglomerate house doing coloring. And then Jeremy Cox with Al, Alex Sinclair and Nick Bell in Chapter 5. So you you had some management of it, which you would expect to meeting publication deadlines. But really, this is Jeremy managing that whole scenario as well as providing, doing the coloring himself. And again, does a fantastic job at that. And no, nothing's lost in the detail. Yeah. And I think the the issue that you were talking about, one of your favorites too, towards the end of the her travels with Bill, uh, <laughs> the uh, the comic book version. He was, Bill was the comic artist, if I remember correctly, who was able to channel Promethea. As they are leaving the Immateria and approaching the material world, you get like hyper-realism, which actually ends up being rendered more as photograph. But that they don't end up being jarring. I mean, it's it's obviously very different from the rendered drawings, but the photographs, and I think it's primarily because of the coloration, just seem to fit so well into the story. And it's just, it's an artistic and literary tour de force. It indeed is. It indeed is, JJ. And I know we could gush on here for hours about this work, but what I'd like to do is leave you with the last word here. All I'll say is go quickly if you haven't read this ever before get it read it enjoy it it is a spectacular work so jj what are your recommendations and impressions that you would like to leave our listeners with as far as this graphic novels concerned promethea if you're a fan of the comics medium and want to be able to see just how far image and word can be pushed, this is the place to see it work. Because it's not all talking heads. It's word and image. And for a character who is an idea and inspires writers and artists, I can't think of a better I can't think of a better way to render the story. Do yourself a favor and check out Promethea. And we're Kids. Hey, go on.